0: Saving money in your next project with help from Menards. Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump. Sump pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards and don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big Kevin is one of the most electrifying, sought-after comedians in the world. His films, including Ride Along, Central Intelligence, Think Like a Man, have combined to gross over a billion dollars at the box office. Yes, I use the B word. And in 2015, he became the first comedian ever to headline an NFL stadium right in his own hometown. Raised in a relatively rough part of North Philadelphia, he got his first taste of stand-up at an amateur open mic night. A few performances later, he won 75 bucks, and he was hooked. Soon, he embedded himself in the late night comedy club circuit of New York City, where he began watching and learning and studying and ultimately performing at some of the top clubs in town. He has never looked back since. Everybody has a story and there is something to be learned from every experience. Use your life as a class. This is Masterclass with Kevin Hart.
1: When I get into all the comedy clubs in New York, the comic strip was the only one that I couldn't get into. Keith gets me an audition for Lucian Holtz. Lucian sits in the back of a comedy club. He watches you perform after you perform. Lucian breaks down your set and tells you if you're good enough to be in his club or if you're going to have to audition again or whatever else he may tell you. I perform for Lucian. Lucian pulls me in the office. I sit in the back. This is young Kevin Hart. I'm 21 years old. I'm in the back, and Lucian goes, I'm going to be honest with you. I think that you should find something else. I was like, what are you what do you mean? Another another hobby or or craft. I don't, I don't see comedy being it for you. Straight face. Huh? Somebody ever say something to you and you're so dumbfounded by the fact that they said it to your face? Like, this is shit that he should have said when I left or on the phone. You know, send that email. Like, he said it to my face. He's like, this is this isn't for you. So unfortunately, you won't be performing. At my comedy club. Wow. All right. Okay. Thank you, man. I get up. I leave. Keith in the hallway. He goes, "What'd he say?" Said that I wasn't good and that I should give up comedy. Keith goes, "Ah, f- Lucian. He doesn't know shit, right?" Keith wasn't like he didn't shrug his shoulders. He's like, "Come on, Stoop. Let's go." It wasn't even a, a thing. So I'm thinking that this was gonna be a moment that we should be down or we should be. He didn't blink twice. I was like, "Why should I care?" There's 12 other comedy clubs. You know what? I'm gonna go to those comedy clubs. Later on, Lucian passed away. Rest in peace to Lucian. And then the comic strip, actually, I became their like feature comic. On the weekends, they always wanted me to host their show or headline their showcases. So the place that once hated me became the place that wanted me the most. Nobody knows your future but you. You know what I mean? Like no. Nobody can predict your outcome but you. You're in charge of your own book. That's lesson one. How your chapters go and how that book ends are all up to you. There was one minute where I went through a babysitter phase. You know, I was 13, 14 with a babysitter. I had to go over my babysitter's house after school until my mom got out of work. I used to lie to my friends and I, I told my friends that that was my grandmother. I came, I did whatever I was supposed to do. I helped her with whatever she needed to be helped with. So in her eyes, I was a great kid. Kind of becoming somewhat of a family member. I don't think people understand the power of trust, the power of loyalty. When you have it, you have it. When it's broken, it's broken. The one example where I learned a real lesson, okay, I don't, kids do stupid shit. This is probably in the top two dumbest things that as a group we did. We hid behind cars, and we would wait for the cars to come, and when it would get close enough, we would all pop up, and we would all throw rocks at the cars, right? So the one day I do it, they do this all the time, the rock I throw breaks the back window. You hear the... The car slams on the brakes. Everybody is like, oh, we all take off. We all run, Right? Keep in mind, this is a block that we we all lived in the neighborhood. Everybody knows the kids around this neighborhood. And, like, the guy is, like, talking to people in the area. Like, his car is still parked. He's trying to get to the bottom of who these kids were. And when questions get to, get to being asked, it, it was Kevin threw that rock. That was Kevin's rock. <laughs> like, what? We all threw the rock. They threw me under the bus so fast, so fast. But... Miss Davis, that was the woman that was my grandmother, it got to her and she asked me, she was like, did you throw the rock? And I said, I did throw the rock. I said, we all threw the rocks. Nobody knew that was gonna happen. She's like, well, this is bad. And it was the scariest thing ever. She was like, I'm, I'm just trying to sit up here and decide if I should tell your mother or not. She's like, you do right by me. You come here, you do what you're supposed to. You've never had an incident like this. What made you do something stupid like this? And I was like, I don't know. I had no real answer. And she made me feel like she was gonna tell my mom and I was scared all day. I was like, oh God, this is gonna be bad. She never told. She never told my mom. And it it me a little bit. For her not to tell on me and for her to never say nothing else about it, I took it at like, that was her wink. That was her like, I got you. I love you. Don't put me in a position like that ever again. You gotta give it to get it. You gotta give trust to get trust. I don't want to make her feel like she made the wrong choices by not telling on me. And for that, hey, you don't have to worry about old Kevin Hart doing nothing. I made my one mistake. You don't have to worry about nothing else. I will walk a straight road. I promise you that. Kids were doing something bad. I was right there on the porch. What's going on out there? They said something happened down there. They fighting. Where were you at? Right here on the porch. Until this day, this is the first time I've even talked about it out loud. My mom right now is probably pissed off in heaven. Right now, threw a rock at that car, I broke that man's window. Comedy can get rough. I go to New York. There's a crab fest that I'm performing at. A crab fest is basically seafood served in bulk and they throw some entertainment. Well, they decide to stop the music and the dancing and go, okay people, let's get ready for some comedy. Okay, this is by far the most belligerent level of hate that I've ever seen toward a joke. I'm telling the joke, and the joke doesn't work. It was so quiet, this lady goes, no, baby, no. Just give it up, baby. <laughs> she, and I looked down. <laughs> she, you know, they got like the crab claw. Like, she, she like, <laughs> she like break the claw. Like pull the crab meat out of her hand. You started to hear people Hey man, we just want to eat crabs. You, it start to pick up. <laughs> like, let us eat our crabs. Let us eat our crabs. So they didn't boo me. They protested me. I would have rather you boo me off the stage, but they act like I was stopping a good time. Like they act like like, like you can't eat and watch. Y'all can't do them both at the same time. <laughs> it's bad when you start explaining yourself. I was booked. They booked me. <laughs> they told me y'all wanted me here. That one hurt because it was a crab fest and we all got bussed out there. So after getting basically booed, I had to sit and wait for the buses. So, like, when it's, time to, when it's time to go back. You remember that scene in Forrest Gump where he has to, like, walk on the bus and, and he's like, is this seat taken? And everybody's like, it's taken. Everybody was, like, moving over so I wouldn't sit next to them. So I had to sit in like some weird seat and just look out the window the whole trip. I remember I saw everything that trip. <laughs> Bus smelled like crabs. I'll never forget that shit. True story. I got stories for days, man. I'm in Philadelphia. I was 18 and just hanging out. I was working at the sneaker store and this woman, Alice, she was like the assistant floor manager Alice was cool as hell. She's like, I remember Alice told me, the day I met her, she was like, hey, Kev, I'm Alice. I'm a lesbian. I was like, all right. Uh, all right. I was like, okay. What do I got to do? She was like, I just want you to know, man, I'm straightforward with it. I don't want nobody figuring it out. But we would have a good time. And me and Alice would talk on my lunch breaks, and she would break down this world to me. She was like, man, you got to come to the club with me one day, man. You got to see these girls. They be on me, Kev. I can probably get you some girls up in there. I'm like, no, no, I ain't going to go. You know, you go, Alice. I'm not going to go in there. She was like, you just got to come one time. And I went. Me and Alice went. We hung out. I'm at the club with her. But we vibing, we talking, we became friends. And got to the point where I would come back to work, tell people how good of a time I had with Alice. Man, we went out. Alice took me to the bar. She took me to some gay club. Man, we got to go. Then our whole... Little job, we would go to the clubs we would vibe. But they got to see my personality. They got to see how funny I was. And then they was like, Kev, you should do comedy. I didn't know how to get into comedy. Like as much as I loved it, I didn't know the steps to take. Alice was like, man, Kev, I know a spot. They got this amateur night. I used to go there a long time ago. You gotta go. I was like, I'll go. My whole job, we got off work and we all went down there for the amateur night. And in the crowd, it was the seven people from my job, and it might have been like four other people. So my first time doing the amateur night, I got laughs mainly because it was the people from my job. But in my mind, I was like, I am killing this room. I had confidence. Whether it was funny or not, my first time on stage was a good experience because when those lights were in my face and they gave me three to five minutes, I had my head up, I had my chest out, I was comfortable. And I got off and I was like, man, Kev, yo, you were funny. And they were like, man, you gotta go back. And I was like, yo, I'm gonna go back. And I kept going back. Every Thursday, I went back and then they started to do the competition to where if you won, you got paid. Like it was like $75 for first place. And I won like six in a row. And I, you can not tell me nothing. I was like, man, this is it. And after I won like six in a row, I was adding it up. I was like, if I do this every week, I can pay my rent. I don't really need to work here anymore. So I quit. I was like, Alice, I'm out. She's like, what you mean? I was like, I'm just going to do comedy. She was like, you know what? You should. Never said anything wrong. And I was like, thanks, Alice. And I go back to the amateur Tonight, and they stopped it. The day I quit my job, amateur Tonight stopped. I was like, well, ain't this a bitch? (laughs) Save big money and start
0: your spring project with help from Menards. We offer a huge selection of bonnie plants, veggies, and herbs to plant at home and grow yourself. Right now, all four and a half inch bonnie plants are on sale through May 5th. Head to the Menards Garden Center to get your garden growing. And check out our weekly flyer on menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money
1: at I think there's a positive in every negative. I don't, I don't care how will live by that. People get hung up on anger. And what I've learned is time don't stop. Time don't stop while you get an attitude. Time don't stop while you cry. Time don't stop while your heart hurts. Time does not stop. When my dad first left... Until this day, I don't know the reason. I don't know the reason why my mom kicked him out. My dad was like, I'm gone. I remember him saying, hey, look, you and your brother going to be all right. I'll come back to pick you up some days. Y'all stay with your mother. It'll be fine. He left, and once out every two weeks, he stopped by, pick us up. We hang out with Dad. You know, it was, it was things like that. There was no consistency with it. Some days he say he's going to be there, and he comes, and some days he say he was, and he didn't. It was like jumping rope. Sometimes you get in, sometimes you don't. And, you know, as a kid, when dad said he was coming, you like, yeah, oh, okay. And you in the window. You in the window waiting. You got your bag packed, you got your sneakers ready, everything, because dad said he gonna be here, and he coming. I remember when he would come, he would yell, come on down! you like, mom, dad here. She went, like, all right, go ahead, just chill. You out the house, he's ready to go. But in those days when he didn't, it's like, damn. Dad said he was gonna come, he didn't come. So it's like, it was it was always a hit and miss, but you still love your dad. And then you get older, you become a teenager, and now you ain't seen him, but now you're hearing stories. And then my brother had a talk with me when I was like 15. He said, like, look, man, it's time for you to know dad on drugs, been on drugs for quite some time. All right, that's why you ain't seen him. Well, damn, all right, uh, that's it. I asked my mom, yep. It is. That's why I don't want you around him. It's a bad situation. So I didn't see my dad for a long time. I'm a great dad. I'm a great dad because I know what it's like not to be a good dad. You know, me and my dad's relationship now has developed into an amazing relationship. But for my young life, you know, it was null and void. With my kids, you know, I make sure I nurture it from the ground up. And I remember the days where my dad was there when I was younger, and those were some of the best days ever. It's something that comes with a dad that's just cool. The way that the child lights up. I don't ever wanna lose that light up. So I talk, I communicate. I learned that because of the mistakes that my dad made. All the movies, all the money, all the TV shows, the stages, that's great. Nothing beats the relationship that you have with your kids.
0: One of Kevin's earliest breaks was becoming a regular at a Philadelphia comedy club called The Laugh House. It was there that Kevin met his mentor, comedian Keith Robinson. If you want to hear the sound of gratitude, listen to Kevin talk about Keith. It was Keith who brought Kevin into the highly competitive New York City comedy circuit. In New York, Kevin patiently paid his dues, learning how to take constructive and not-so-constructive criticism from the other more
1: season comics. Keith Robinson is the biggest mentor that I have. To this day, I don't care what Keith asked me for, I would look out for Keith. Keith saw me perform at the Laugh House in Philadelphia and was like, that was funny, stupid. I, it's the first time I've ever seen him in my life. You're not talking about anything, though. This is Keith's voice. You're not talking about nothing. You're just up there doing a bunch of slapjack jack That's what he says. I'm like, what? What are you talking about, man? I just killed. He said, nobody knows what you're saying. Nobody remembers anything because you're not talking about yourself. He said, look, and I don't know what made him do this. It's just weird how God works. He says, if you really want to know what comedy is, meet me here tomorrow at 12 o'clock, stupid. I was like, it. 12 p.m., I was standing outside the Laugh House. Keith pulls up, picks me up. We drive to New York. That's where it all took off. Once I saw that, Back to Philadelphia, I wanna get in the clubs up here. So I drove to New York and from New York every day with Keith Robinson for four and a half years. Back and forth, Philadelphia to New York. Because I had to make people in New York think I lived in New York to get into the comedy clubs. Because they knew that you lived in Philadelphia, they wouldn't think that you would make the spots. So you had to be the first one in and the last one out. I'm doing that six to seven days a week. And Keith was like, look, man. He said, comedy don't wait. These stages ain't gonna wait. He said, if you don't want it, it's gonna be somebody else that does. I was hanging out. I would go up and just watch Keith get on stage. I would sit in the back of the comedy club. I would go up and he would be at the table talking. Comedians would be laughing and that would be it. You know, it took me almost a year of just hanging out before I even got the audition. Just sitting in the back of the comedy club Going upstairs, sitting at the table with Keith Robinson, Patrice O'Neill, Richard Voss, Jim Norton, Bill Burr. The list goes on and on. Chris Rock, there's so many legends that you would see coming in and out of this place, and I would just be at the table, and they all accepted me, talked to me, and then they all got curious. Does he do comedy? Does Lil Dummy? That's what they used to call me, Lil Dummy. Patrice O'Neill. What what does Lil Dummy do? Ugh, he would go, ugh, ugh. (laughs) When I, I was like, I do comedy. Patrice would go, ugh, ugh. What, man? Mm. I don't know if I want to see it. And Voss was like, he looks stupid. They would just trash me. They would just, all of them would trash me. Norton was like, he smells like the city. <laughs> Norton said. They all just used to bash me. But it got me so, like, my skin was so thick. Like, it was, that was the test. That was comedy hazing. To see if I had what it took. Then it got to a point where I used to fire back. It was almost like Miyagi and Danielson. Mr. Miyagi never told Danielson what it was when he was doing all of that washing the floors and washing the cars. But then that one day where he goes, he goes, wax on, and he throws a punch and Danielson's shocked that he blocked it. Wax off, and he blocks another punch. And Mr. Miyagi starts doing it fast. It's like, oh I've been learning all this time oh, he's funny, he's funny. And then Colin Quinn and Keith, they talked to the club owners, got me an audition. I passed, I was in the Comedy Cellar. And I got into Stand Up New York. I got into the Boston Comedy Club. I got into the Carolines, got into Gotham. And before you know it, I was the new guy But that was tearing up that New York circuit. That was the biggest lesson to me of persistence pays off. Eventually you'll crack through. And it may not happen in a day, It may take a year, it may take 10, but eventually if you stay true to what it is that you're doing, you're gonna win. For me to see that at that age, it made me want it more. It made me wanna get more. It made me work more. That's the type of attitude I had. I said, either I'm gonna give it 100% or I'm not gonna give it nothing. My first marriage, I got married too young. I was 22. 22 years old, I can't even say high school sweetheart, community college sweetheart. We hit it off, we're inseparable. It was young, young love. But the toughest thing about entertainment, the toughest thing about this business is there is no prediction for where it takes you. When it's time to go, you have to go. And in any relationship, it's very hard to understand being gone. It's very hard to understand coming in the house three, four in the morning on a consistent basis. You know, as a comedian, we're out until 5 a.m., but you can't tell a person that that doesn't understand that world. It looks like you're moving on and living life without me. It's a fast-paced life. And I can say I was guilty of being caught up in the fast-paced lifestyle. I was a boy. I was an immature boy. And she was an immature woman, and together, nobody was ever wrong. We clash, we clash, we hate, we hate, we fight, we fight. And I just was like, you know what, man? I'm just not ready for marriage. So when you can make that decision, it shows that you're already starting to change. The good that comes out of that is what we're able to do for our kids. That anger is removed, so now you're better. Because when you're around me, you're not angry, and our kids don't see that that positivity just shines and it lights up. The relationship that I'm in now, in this marriage, she was able to get a Kevin 2.0, a Kevin that's a grown man. I have to be different to get different. I wanted her to see, see what it is that I really do, see all of the hard work that goes into it, see what I'm really building. In doing that, when you're a part of it, I'm so open and honest about everything. You become in tune. And when you're in tune, you're in sync. And when you're in sync, you're inseparable because I know what you know and you know what I know. There are no secrets. My past is my past, but I'm open about it, you know. Her past is her past, I know. A Little bit about where I grew up. I'm from Philadelphia, 15th and Erie to be exact. Somewhat of a bad neighborhood but I think with anything bad that there's good in it, especially when that's all you know. I think growing up where where I grew up has definitely helped me evolve into the man that I am today <laughs> because of the, the strict behavior that came with my neighborhood from my mother. I think a lot of the teenagers got into a lot of bad, bad activities. So my mom kept me busy. She just didn't want me with any time on my hands. From the time period of 10 a.m. to to 3 p.m. or maybe 4 p.m., I rarely saw anybody. I swam from the ages 9 through my senior year in high school. And what that did was it, it put me in practice before school. It put me in practice after school. And as soon as you would get done practice, it would be so late. That by the time you got home, you had to do your homework. And after homework, it was the bed. It was a system. It was a continuous routine that was never really broken. So I didn't have a lot of time on my hands to get in the mischief that a lot of my, my friends from the neighborhood were getting into. You don't know how smart your mom is until after the fact. You know, when you're a kid, everything is unfair. Now that I'm an adult, of course, I look back and I go, wow, I'm lucky to have a mom care at the level that my mom cared at. And that was smart enough and wise enough to keep me out of certain situations. I could have went the wrong way, but I kept busy. I'm a strong believer in that. My dad came to me and he was like, look, I just, I want to clean myself up. I want to be back in my son's life. I just, I just need help and checked himself into a rehab. He was like, I'm in here, I'm going through the full system. My dad got clean, got clean, like for real, like for real, for real. He saw a difference in his appearance, look healthy. Me and my brother are trying to build this relationship, celebrate the fact that he's in a better position. This is good, dad's coming back. Now the woman that was our rock, my mom is starting to fall apart, oh Mom is sick. She's got two sons now. Two sons of grown men. We're doing well for ourselves. Dad's doing great. As a family, yeah, they're not together, but everybody's positioned well. It comes out that my mom has cancer. What? Mom got cancer? How bad is it? It's bad. She's been trying to heal herself for the longest time. She's been taking, like, holistic medicines, and she never went to the doctor. It was It was something that just got worse and worse. So as this man is getting better and better and better, my mom is getting worse and worse and worse, but she's hiding it because she doesn't want us to know. So when we found out, me and my brother are like, okay, let's go, we gotta go put her in a hospital. She's doing like the chemotherapy, she's going through all of this stuff, but the doctor's like, it's, we caught it too late, it's, this is bad, this is really bad. This is where I say I'm different. I gotta, there's something in me different. I don't know what it is, but I accept reality. The reality is, mom's gonna pass away. That's the reality. How do we handle this? Well, we can either be sad and mopey and have our mother see us as two sad men on her last days, or we can be the best sons ever and celebrate and just be around her and bring as much joy to her as we can. We chose the high road. As tough as it was on us, that's the road that we chose. Mom passed away. It's real tough. The family that we had, like our immediate family, we were, we were kind of close, but it was all because of my mom. She was the, hey, let's get together for the Christmas dinners, the family. Like she was the liaison for that. So when I lost these pieces of tissue, that main piece was my mother. So then all of that energy went to my dad and to my brother. This is our little family. That last name Hart right here. If we don't try to make this last name mean something, then we have nothing that's going to live on. My last name means something now, but it's because we made it mean something. I know it looks like I've been spitting out movie, 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 movie but it's not as much as people really think. The success has really come in the last four years, you know, I've had television shows that were picked up and I was flown to New York for Upfront and I was about to walk on the stage and a lady put her hand on my chest and said, they just canceled your show. Huh? What what do you mean? They canceled it, I'm sorry, you gotta go to the back. Wait, well, who's gonna talk to me? You gotta go to the back, go to the back. You know what, I'm talented. I'm gonna book something. We take a different route. Now I'm going out for series regulars. Every show that they put me on, the show got canceled after I'm here. Yo, is it me? <laughs> Am I the kryptonite? Soul Plane comes along. This is going to be it. Soul Plane is going to launch me. Shoot the movie. Oh, I can't wait for this to come out, man. They gave us a great date. When is it? Memorial Day weekend? What normally happens on those weekends? Do movies do good? Oh, that's a great weekend. Soul Plane was the biggest bootleg movie in history. Movie came out six months before it came out. People think this is a lie, this is a true story. I'm at the airport traveling to do a comedy club and a guy comes up to me and asks me to sign his bootleg copy of Soul Plane. He was watching the movie <laughs> on the plane. Like, you know, this is when the DVD players was out. We had just shot the new ending to the movie like three weeks ago. This son of a bitch had the new ending <laughs> On a bootleg. So here's the positive in this shit. Show's getting canceled. nothing getting picked up. Pilots are not working. Soul Plane gets bootlegged. Movies all over. My comedy club numbers start going up. Oh, that's the guy from Soul Plane. So even though nobody went to go see the movie in the theaters, everybody had the bootleg. So now my comedy fan base is getting bigger because now people have something to associate me with. So that word, no, and, and, and you're not good or you're not ready, it made me bulk up to get to a point to where I felt like I could roll with the big boys that were considered to be the big boys. I wasn't afraid to take seven steps backwards to make one big step forward. And those are decisions that you get faced with. The easy road out is not always the best road. It's not. It's not always the best road. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people frown upon a lot of the shit that they go through in entertainment. But you gotta understand, if you don't go through all of that shit, then you got nothing to talk about when you make it. If you step out the house and you just make it, what's your story? I was pissed off at this acting shit. Stand-up, I own stand-up. And that's when I just start slaving the road. And I built those numbers up. I would go comedy clubs all over the US, finish start over, do the same thing again. But I'm collecting emails, I'm collecting data. So every time I come back, hey, I'm coming back, I'm gonna be here, my crowds are now growing. So now I'm selling out. And something clicked. There was something that clicked in standup where I figured out that I could just talk about me. For a while I was trying to be somebody else. Man, whatever happened when you go, man, you ever see? I wasn't even talking to my voice, I was creating something else. I don't know who the f- it was. But one day something clicked and I was just on stage and I was just talking and people were laughing, something clicked, it was weird. It was like the best light bulb, like bink, and I just tapped into me. And when that started clicking and I started banging that material out, it was easier for me to create because I was talking about what was real, what I knew, what was close to me. And I remember on, on my Laugh and My Pain tour, when I started doing these smaller arenas, Studios were then being, they, they became aware. They said, no, we must have missed something. This is the guy. People are, they, they like this guy. Because I was, I was myself. It's bigger than confidence. It's the ability to know what you can do. Everything goes full circle. But you just gotta be strong enough and patient enough to wait for the circle to, to complete itself. Will Packer wanted to meet me. Will Packer, young producer. Let me tell you why Will Packer got my attention. Will Packer said, hey man, I wanted to meet with you because I see a lot of myself in you. He said, I respect you brother because it seems like you're doing it your way and you're making a lot of noise the way you're doing it. I'm a young producer. I started out by producing movies and selling them out my trunk. I did a movie called Toi. I funded it myself. I did it, I sold it. You know what, ever since then I haven't looked back. I think, that there's a way for me to take these movies to the next level if I can find the right brother to star in this next idea that I have. He said, but here's the thing. I don't want you to be a character. I want to let you loose. He said, I don't think that you've ever been able to let loose in a movie. So I want to pair you with a director that can put you in a position for you to let loose. And that guy that I saw on stage the other night, I want to see that guy in the movie. And I think your fans want to see that guy in the movie. I said, did you cast anybody else? He said, I'm coming to you first. I said, I'm in. He said, that's all I need to know. Just because of his story and the way that he came up to me, I said, he's different. He doesn't seem like everybody else, man. If I'm a gamble on this movie, shit, why not gamble on it with him? What's the movie? Think like a man. Ride Along came in after. This is my chance to do an action comedy. This is what comedians dream of. Man and Ice Cube filmed this movie, knocked this movie out the park. When they say that movies with an African-American lead don't perform, you wanna crack that barrier. You wanna, you wanna break that. Think Like a Man too. we do it again. About last night, I do Wedding Ringer. We do Ride Along too. I do Get Hard with Will Ferrell. I'm not your traditional actor. I'm not your traditional comedian. I don't wanna be categorized. I wanna stand out. There's so many different entities and avenues that can be taken that you can find success in. Everybody's journey is different, but everybody can find a great level of success in a journey that they choose. So whatever you're choosing, you know, just stay true to it. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just, are you strong enough to keep digging until that light comes, or do you give up halfway through?
0: Are you strong enough to keep digging until that light comes? Well, Kevin kept digging, and his persistence has paid off today. He has joined the elite class of comedians, big enough to sell out Madison Square Garden. Forbes named Kevin the highest-earning comedian of 2016, and he continues to dominate the box office with five number-one films and counting. Not bad for a guy who started off selling sneakers in North Philly. Despite his massive success, the movies, the TV shows, the record-breaking comedy tours, Kevin remains an encouraging friend and a devoted father and husband. For the million laughs you've given us and the millions more we hope to come, Kevin Hart, you are a master.
1: Hollywood throws you a lot of curveballs. You know, and I think the lessons that I've had in Hollywood at a young age were such great lessons, man, because the way that I look at Hollywood is in such a, I have such a dope perspective on what it is. It's not real. It's fake. Not to say that all the people are fake, but it's fake. It's, we're going to give you this, and this is what life is, but at any point in time, we can snatch it away. When you have that mindset, there's nothing that can bother you. And I do believe that how you treat people on the way up is very important because if you ever go down, you're going to come across those same people because if things fall, I'm going to see them again. So you just know that people remember. They remember everything. Nothing goes away. That's the beautiful thing about memories. So make sure that everybody has a good memory that can go along with you on your journey. See this? Look at that. Positivity. One, one. It's my class, man. You can take it if you want to.
0: I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Masterclass, the podcast. You can follow Masterclass on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Masterclass podcast.